It's time for Tom Girl with JJ Jurgens. A different breed. Hi, and welcome to Tom Girl, where we talk all things sports, entertainment, fashion, and adventure. I'm JJ Jurgens, and I am so happy to be back in the saddle doing this podcast. And I couldn't think of a better guest to kick off the new episodes with. She's an award winning actor, producer, director, and activist. She's faced many obstacles in life and has pushed through with grit and determination. She's acted alongside Robert Redford, Nicolas Cage, and Seth Rogen, produced award winning films and commercial projects, and has her own production company, Black Tree Pictures where she is able to produce projects she's passionate about and use her voice. Welcome to the show, Nicole Lear! <laughs> Thanks for that intro. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Oh, man, it feels good to be here. Uh, so good to have you in here. And now we're doing this. I can't actually see you, but we are in the studio and I can feel feel you through that wall over there. I can't believe how awesome, oh, this is awesome studios, LA, how amazing they were, like, wiping everything down, prepping everything. This is an amazing setup you guys have. It's great. I really miss doing this, and these these guys are just the best, so it's, you know, I love the energy of having somebody actually in studio, so I'm, I love that we're able to do it safely and you know, totally. and, and, and do this. Um, how have you been getting through quarantine in this COVID time? Yeah, you know, I, I like the way that you even even just phrase that question because I think a lot of people say, oh, how are you doing? And they expect people to say, fine. Um, so, you know, I have a roof over my head. I have food in my fridge. I feel blessed. But I am really angry um, and I am really sad um, at the state of the world and what we're going through. But I think that it is our time now to stand up and do our work individually and whatever that means, because doing our work, that means different things for different people. So for me, I'm using my voice as much as I can for the movement. And during the quarantine, you know, I believe in science like most people should and do. Mm-hmm. I'm very open about that. I'm wearing my mask and, and social distancing and only doing things like this where we're we're being safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am I'm saying that you know I'm safe and I have food in my fridge and, <laughs> and I, I'm 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 working towards a better world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trying to be honest with that too. You know. Yeah, I love that. And just by going through your you know social media and, and researching for this this interview, I, I I was so excited that you know I've taken time off from this and it was just time to take a step back and everything has just been so heavy and just a a lot that we're all dealing with and and, and processing. And then, you know, and looking at everything that you're doing, I was just so inspired. And I was, it just made me so eager for today because I'm like, you know what, this is the perfect person to have back. You're just such a beautiful soul. And I just believe so in so much of everything that you are doing. And it's just, you're just so important to the world right now. (laughs) That's really incredible. I, I would, I think that what you're doing is amazing. And I would encourage, you know, hosts of shows like yours, um, to continue to build your brand and to build the show up because your show is amazing. And we need places like this so that we can speak out. So keep doing your work because it's very, very important. And um, I commend you on having me here today. And I'm looking forward to the interviews that come after this because I'm sure it's going to be um, awesome, awesome interviews. Oh, well, thank you. Well, let's dive into you now. <laughs> There's so much I have to talk with you about. Um, but I want to first go back and talk just kind of in your journey overall because you um, had a, a challenging upbringing. And so I want to maybe talk a little bit about that and how you made that choice to, you know, get out and really pursue your passions and your dreams. Yeah. Um, So when I was very, very young, I lived in a home with an alcoholic father. Um, I've never met my biological father. Uh, My biological father, I recently found out about two, three, about three and a half years ago now, is from Tanzania, Africa. He did not know about me. And at the ages through 13 to 16, I made the choice to leave home on my own. Um, And it was a choice that I'm very pleased with. And I think that a lot of people would say, oh, I'm so sorry about that, Nicole. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, it isn't like that at all. I made the right choice. The only thing that I do regret is I had to leave my little sister behind because I had to just take care of myself at that age. Um, And I think that sometimes... Um, we just have to listen to our intuition. And that's something that I had to do. It wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't easy, <laughs> but I did it. And I think that um, it, it makes me who I am today, that that part of the adversity that I had when I was very young uh, makes me stronger. And it makes me open-minded um, to different different people, places, and things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm laughing because it's funny, but it's true. You know, you say these cheesy things like, 
one of the things I always say is that I really want to make the world a better place. And people will often roll their eyes and they'll say that's the textbook answer. But it really does. It really has. You know, like I can talk to I feel like I can talk and open my heart to just about anybody. You know, my the people who raised me were uh, white they call themselves rednecks. Um, at one point, my mother, um, I remember screaming out the window of the truck, black meat on the street to a black man. And there I'm sitting in that car as a young, um, you know, young black woman. So I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far to say that my family was racist. I think that they loved me very much, but I think that they are a product of the people that raised them. And I think they did the best they could with what they had and what they knew. I don't think what they did was right. And there's a reason why I left. But I do think that everybody is trying to do the best they can. And I think that's what they did. But I had to I had to move on, mm-hmm. move on and get out. I had bigger and bigger things to do. When did you have that calling that acting was what you wanted to pursue and you were going to go for it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember the exact moment. <laughs> so crazy. So um, in high school, I was doing a play. I believe we were doing Oliver Twist. Um, and there's a picture of the moment. I was like, I'm going to do this. Um, and it was just a high school play. And I remember loving the the preparation, the preparation for the part, the preparation. You know, it's and it's so mm-hmm. different. High school theaters, especially I, I'm from Canada. So this was way up north in the interior of B.C., um, is different than a professional set. But I love the idea of jumping into something else um, and telling the story. I've always loved the stories, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sharing the stories for the people. So tell me about going to Vancouver. You find yourself a young girl, just left home, and determined to knock on doors and make acting happen. Yeah. Um, I was very lucky. When I came to Vancouver, it was definitely a rough start. I was on my own um, and on the street for a little while until I got my things together. You know, I had like $50 in my pocket. I got on a Greyhound bus um, from a small town called Quinell, B.C. Um, I'm very proud of the work they're doing. And I went to Vancouver within three months, and I'm skipping over a few things. It was very rough at the start. Um but I was very lucky I met an amazing agent and I basically sat down, I'm very young at this age, very, very young, and I look across her desk and she had a professional interview with me and I just said, I looked her in the eye, I'm still friends with her today, and I said, if you don't sign me on, you're never gonna buy your first house. I have no idea (laughs) where I I, got that. I just knew that I had to go in with big balls and like get this. And she was sweet. She's a lovely, her name's Deborah Harry, not the Deborah Harry, but her name's Deborah Harry. And she signed me on. And actually within the month, we ended up booking my first TV show that went on for like three three or five years, Edgemont Road. Um, And we just booked and my career started. And I just, I think that sometimes when you are surviving, because I was at a place in my life I had to survive, Mm -hmm. the world will open up to you. Whether you want to call it good energy or you want to, you know, some people are like, it's the secret or whatever you want to call it. It's just sometimes when you really, really believe something, it happens. And I think that's a moment where the energy just vibed really well for me and I had to make it happen. I didn't have a choice. It was was book something or don't eat, literally. And the day that, (laughs) actually, I'll tell you this. The day that the contract came through, um, I went to Deborah. She's like, I have some news. She told me, of course, very, very happy, screaming, jumping up and down, young girl. And the first thing I said is, can I have something to eat? And I <sighs> opened a can of food. It was that gross, that, um, what's that stew in a can? I can't remember that awful stew in a can. It's oh, like meat. D- what's the name of it? <sighs> I don't know. Oh, I'm trying to think. Like Mr. Hungry Man or something. <laughs> Oh, there was like Hungry Man soups, I remember. It yeah. wasn't Mr. Hungry Man <laughs> stew. And I just was like, opened it and ate with a spoon out of the can because that's how hungry I literally was. And I, I remember looking in her eyes and then she did everything for me. So um, she really built my career up. And she always taught me, you know, it's not who knows you or it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Hmm. And I learned a lot from her. Hmm. And did she get that house? Yeah, she did. <laughs> <laughs> she did. She did. I moved on. She's not an agent anymore, but we still keep in touch. And um, she became like a mother figure to me. Her and um, 
her very close friend, Victoria Clements, and they still look out for me. And if they see anything online that they don't like, they're not shy. They'll let me know. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. I'm always fascinated in what people do to keep that, keep them motivated and, you know, fight through, you know, acting such a roller coaster. So are there tips like that, that, you know, staying in that survival mode or what do you do mentally to continue to be able to weather the ups and downs of your career? So I've always tried to do something else because I was taught when I was in training, people are like, you need to have a B plan. And I was like, well, that sounds like a good idea. And I have tried. You know, I was like, maybe I should like get into real estate. Real estate is a great game to like, you know, make that side money. I'm just not good at anything else. And I haven't been able to I love people so much and I love the world so much. So I don't know if I necessarily have an answer, but this is what I know how to do. And this is where I feel my best. Um, I definitely would encourage others, like especially other actors, to just find your community. You need people around you that... Um, are not, you know, it doesn't need to be like somebody who's always positive, but you do need to have a community that will hear you out. Um, I'm not a firm believer in always being positive because I don't think that's natural. You know, we have ups and downs. This is a ro- mm-hmm. Life is a roller coaster, but I do think you need people around you that who are real, mm-hmm. who hold you to the truth. Um, who that always push you forward because you rise we rise in groups right you know like right now the world's going through a huge 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 change with with the movement again after Mm -hmm. 400 plus years of these changes but we're rising together we're all improving together and so as actors I think you need to find you got to have that crazy Mm -hmm. actor friend you know you got to have that Johnny drama that's around you you know because it's the good vibes and you know I have I find that um I'm working here uh out of the studio crash acting with Benjamin and if you haven't heard of him he is absolutely amazing I do one-on-ones with him um, and the things that he's teaching is amazing. Um, and then I also work with Larry Moss. So those are my communities. And they are, um, they hold me up when I'm down. And when I'm down, they they explain to me that that's okay. And the education that they share is, it's mm-hmm. it's a huge part of who I am. I can't mm-hmm. say enough good things about those two studios. You know, especially Larry. He's very, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but Larry Moss You can is swear. <laughs> Let it fly. Very, very noble shit. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has Larry Moss has an amazing saying, and I miss him. You know, he's up in New York. We're not able to study right now, but he's like, you are responsible for your talent, and he's just mm-hmm. like, either you do the work or you don't. So there's that side of it too, but there's the the fun side. I like mm-hmm. to go out with the crew after after uh, you know working in the studio. Mm-hmm. Not that we're doing fun. that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someday, someday we will. Larry Moss too. I recommend for people out there listening. Um, great books as well. If right now, mm-hmm. if you don't live near here, can't get to class, we're not all in classes. Th- you'll really enjoy reading those. Yeah, as and well. Ben has some amazing books from Crash Acting as well. Awesome. Well, you let's talk about some of your favorite roles. I mean, you've worked with Robert Redford, Seth Rogen. What are some of those roles that really stick out for you that you've enjoyed? Oh, man. Um, so Robert Redford, on that part, um, it was with Susan Sarandon, and it's a very, very, very small part. Um, I had been working for that production company um, as a producer's assistant, and they <laughs> just ended up, they're like, Nicole's a great actress. Let's put him in. And Robert just walked over to me, and he's like, you know, let's have you uh, say a little bit more. Nice. Like it was just like a very small thing, but to have him have that moment with me, it meant it meant so much. And to meet Susan Sarandon, who I think is an amazing actress, um, it was a special moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Working on the interview movie was wild. (laughs) (laughs) The why that that was that was wild. Produced by the same production company back home, uh, Bright Light Pictures, um, and my old boss Sean Williamson. um, I believe he works for Sony Studios, um, but is in Canada now. His studio is Bright Light Pictures, and so we were producing this. And again, just you know, going on set and being a part of that and being able to be around a, a very successful Canadian, and they're so funny on set. Like when you, you see Seth Rogen and you're like, I think he's like improv this whole scene. They do. They're just so talented. Like they're just improving and like the jokes and the and if it doesn't work, like they're just on to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I learned a lot. I wasn't really close with Seth Rogen. You know, he he was doing his thing and I was there doing my thing, but they, they got me in there again. So I was very thankful for that. And then I have to say my favorite, favorite part um, was working with uh, Mr. Nicholas Cage, where I did have a very substantial part. Um, and he is, you know, he works a lot now. He's putting in the time. He's pumping out the movies. Mm-hmm. But he's talented. And he has not let anything slide and he's method and it was awesome it was mm-hmm. just like the best day of my life on set, <laughs> working with Nick Cage and then I got the like good job kid at the end and ah. I had um I had a friend that came with me that was like just helping me run lines and like assisting me while I was there and made sure to give him a bottle of wine I have no mm-hmm. idea if he would even remember me but it was the coolest moment and that part in Escorted Settle was written for a man Ah, nice. Well, I want to talk about that because you, you, you was a badass. You were giving him his, his weapons and <laughs> just tough girl. Yeah, I, the first line in that movie is he asked, um, he asked my character, so are you running things now? And my response is, why are you asking? Because I don't got a dick. <laughs> awesome. So I was very intimidated. You know, I'm like, okay, I have to like say this line. But he was just so cool. We stayed in character and... Um, I let him wait. I said it. And I, you know, I have the next line after that. I, I let him sit in it. <laughs> love it. Um, but really love the writers and the director, Sean Q, on that because they had an opportunity. It was written for a man. Um, and I actually asked casting. Uh, Deb Barnes was the casting director for that. I said, hey, can I read for this? Just myself. I didn't have an agent or anything yet. And um, she's like, Nicole, it is written for a man, but sure, you can read for it. So I read for it and then got to the callbacks and there's some guys there. And I think there was me and go in and then they come out and they're like, yeah, we we're going to we're going to do this and we're rewriting it for for you. Wow. So, yeah, that's how Sleepy's son became Sleepy's daughter. That's the character's name in the movie. Um, And I'm really impressed with the writers and the producers for doing that because I think that a lot of people in our industry are trying to push things forward. Um, And that's a really cool story. You know, they didn't have to do that. Really cool story, and, and kudos to you for stepping up and asking for that. Is asking something that you really, you know, support and has helped you in your life? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I always believe is that you don't get anything you don't ask for. I worked, had the opportunity to work with Ice Cube and his son Shay Jackson um, on two movies, and one of the things I will never forget Ice Cube telling me is he said, "Closed mouths don't get fed, Nicole." And I'll never forget that because he's so amazing. And Ice Cube is doing incredible things right now for the movement and speaking up. He's using everything he's got to fight. Um, I had respect for him now or like then, but now I have like mucho mm-hmm. fucking respect for that guy um, because he's bringing it. And he told me that. And so that made me think, you know, for sometimes we want to be polite, especially as females in the industry, or we've told we need to be polite. And um, I ain't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm here. I'm talented. I've I've busted my ass. We've all put in our time. And and I, I think that we have to be professional, yes, but we can speak up. You know, they say things to guys when they're working on sets, directors and DPs. They'll say to them, you know, what, what they want is they just want you to go in there and it's a boys club and just go in there and swing your dick around. And it's like, okay. I can do that, too. If you want that mm-hmm. kind of vibe, I can bring that. That's not my style. I love people. I love, to, I love actors. But I can bring it just as best, just, just as good as any other guy. Mm-hmm. How has that development been for you? Because I think, you know, earlier on, were you more um, shy and less, less bold to make moves like that? And how has that progression changed over the years then? I I was never um, given that luxury of not being able to ask or not being able to be bold. I didn't always like being, you know, I'm a very mm-hmm. bold person. I have a, a big personality. Um, and sometimes that's not easy, right? Some people just want some people to go with the flow. Um, so it hasn't always been easy. But I, it's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you just, you, I, I believe in, in being you. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that um, relate to, you know, I have I have so many friends that are in the face of adversity. You have to be strong and you have to be brave and you have to be bold. And you just, I don't think we have the choice not to be anymore. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And what I know you face challenges too in, in finding roles that you've liked and roles that you really feel called to you. How have you gone about, um, have you seen an increase in opportunities or being able to bust down some doors in different areas? So, yeah, I, I've definitely seen a change in different roles opening up. And I think that was really the Nick Cage movie. That was the first one because a lot of people see me as a character that should maybe be the best friend of the lead. And I've never accepted that. I've went for all of them. You don't always book them, (laughs) but you can still go for it. And I think a, a real change because they are like, oh, she's not like the pretty girl. She can play this tough, hardcore, powerful character. I'm short. I'm I'm 4'11". So when people see me, but I've got, um, we always used to say I worked for this amazing gentleman, Fer, uh, Feridun Manavi, who owned an amazing restaurant. He always used to say, you're so short, but 10 feet of you is underground. Like, you're like <laughs> this person to be reckoned with. I never knew what he meant because I was, like, so young. And now I'm like, oh, wow. Like, just have mm-hmm. big energy. I got big energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just meeting you today, I love that right away. You can just feel it. It's just exuberant. You know, just got spunk in there. Just such great attitude and strength. I try. I try. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, sometimes it, you know, we all have our days. <laughs> yes, we do. Or before coffee. You yeah. met me after coffee. So. <laughs> yeah. Late morning, late morning. Well, you not only act, but now you're also doing filmmaking, directing, producing. How has that transition gone? I, I've loved it. And a huge shout out um, to the company that's been supporting me um, getting my experience, Real Arc, out of New York. Um, amazing, amazing company uh, for actors to check out. And they just have me directing everything. Um, mm. And so it, I got really lucky. I was actually a client of theirs. And then I started directing for them. And then, of course, I'm always making projects on my own for a very, very long time. And I, it's just really natural. I know a lot of actors who move to directing and producing say that, but it really has been. And I was a producer's assistant for two and a half years. So I had that experience under my belt. Um, and a director's assistant. I um, was an assistant to Mr. Steve Adelson um, for an episode of the show Beyond. Hmm. Um, you know, so I put in my time. People are like, oh, you're changing. I'm like, no, no. I'm just <laughs> just tapping into what I've been putting yeah. my time into doing. Um, so it's been great. And I love it. And I love connecting with the actors. And it's crazy how you actually start to understand acting even more. Hmm. Every actor should make a short film or a feature film if you have – have the time and energy to do that because you learn so much about your craft. Hmm. And then do you think being an actor also informs your directing ability to work with? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I'm like, yeah, a method actor. And then, (laughs) and then I'm like, okay, well actually the producer and I'm like, okay, we got to speed this up. Like just hit your mark, (laughs) say your line, like, you know, they're burning $4 million a minute here. So let's get this done. So you definitely have a respect for the production side when you've been on it as an actor. Um, But I also think there is a deep respect, vice versa, for the actor's process. You know, we got into this thing right before COVID where a lot of productions were like, it's not about the actor. It's about the camera arts. Like, just Mm -hmm. hit your mark, say your line. And I never... I had some really cool conversations um, with Ben from Crash Acting way back where I messaged him about this. And he's so generous with his honesty and what he says, but we talked about it. And I was like, we still have to honor what the actor is doing as well. It has to be symbiotic, right? Like it's together. But it is interesting how fast we have to pump out television. Yeah. You know, yeah. so sometimes I worry on in, in TV, like are we are we honoring the actor's process? But then the scripts are written for, you know, sometimes you get them beforehand and then sometimes they change and then it's all different. Who knows? <laughs> different <laughs> projects, different, different situations. So tell me about some of the projects that you've been producing and directing. Yeah. um, So one of the projects that I did um, was a very long time ago called Henry's Glasses. um, And I executive produced, produced and co-directed that uh, with my business partner, Brendan Ugama. And it's about the internment camps that happened during World War II. So it's a very beautiful, meaningful project. And then just recently, I also worked with another um, young director and produced a a short film about gambling where I play Mm -hmm. um, an underground mob boss. (laughs) 
awesome, which is awesome. <laughs> I love your badass roles. Uh, yeah, I love them too. And it was just really cool. It's called Cashed Out. Um, and then one of my favorite, favorite uh, films that I produced um, and made uh, with amazing writer. He's out of New York, Neil LeBute. Uh, we made a film called Black Chicks. Um, and that's hilarious because he was working on a show and I kind of pitched him and he said, yes, I, I wasn't expecting Mr. Neil Butte to be like, yeah, I'll, like produce this and you can star in it. Um, and the, you know, Neil Butte's writing, you read it and at the end of everything he writes, you usually don't know how to feel because mm. he's so good at telling both sides of the story. Um, so that that was an amazing project. And then I have another feature film um, coming up that I'm really excited. Um, again, working with Neil Labute, working with a friend of mine, an amazing writer, Mike Mark uh, Dubay, um, and my um, writer, Indy, and I have my friend, uh, producer, Jackie. So this is going to be a really, really cool project. We have some names attached to I can't say more <laughs> than that, but I'm really, really excited about that feature film. Um, and we're going to be shooting that probably next month. Um, so yeah, during quarantine, we're pumping out some stuff. Ah, good for you. Yeah, good for you. I want to go back to one that um, th- this maybe been earlier on. I think this was around like 2012 when you were probably <laughs> getting good. But it's called "Kiss My Incoming Abs." <laughs> Since we like to talk a little fitness and uh, you know sports here, so tell me about that project and how that got started. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Oh, girl, you did your research. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like starting to sweat over here. Like, what else does she know? Um, Okay, so I'm going to be really honest. When we were making Henry's glasses, I was like 260 pounds. Um, And I was like feeling uncomfortable and I wasn't healthy and I was stress eating. And I was just like, I can't, like, I can't do this. You know, I think I just, I couldn't do it. I just wasn't good. And I never do anything small. And I met with a friend, a friend of mine who I worked with um, at that time. She was doing her internship at the production company I was assisting at. And I was like, Rebecca, I want to make a show. <laughs> we were eating hot dogs. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. And I'm like, I want to make a show called Kiss My Incoming Abs. Will you help me? She's like, that's a genius name. I'm I like, too. <laughs> I was like, I want to make a show where I'm a bikini fitness competitor model. She's like, you're crazy. Let's do it. <laughs> and we just did it. And um, again, we think we uh, we honestly don't know how that show came together. We're talking about rebooting it and repitching it. It was magic. Somehow, we don't know how it happened. It was magic. It came together so well, and I actually lost the weight. I ended up competing five times. I did quite well, and I lost all the weight, and my love for fitness um, came out of that. I have so much respect for the bikini fitness competitors in the IFBB um, Pro League and even the Amateur League. I'm still amateur. My goal is to to compete and maybe get my um, pro card. That might take 10 years, but, you know, I'm after it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear more about that transition from from 260 pounds to then getting to, I've seen your bikini model pictures. You know? yeah. Fantastic. Like, what was that ride like? It was hella hard. <laughs> it was hella hard. So first you have to accept, like with weight loss, you have to accept that you're the problem. And I, you know, I didn't come out of that unscathed. You know, I have Hashimoto's. I have a thyroid issue because um, I took it to the extreme. And I still have not put the weight back on. I might not be as small right now as I'd like to be. Not that small. You should always love your body. And I really believe that, especially living in L.A. now. We have... Uh, we have to really pay attention to our own bodies. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. So the first step for me was accepting that I have to take responsibility for me and my problems and what I put in my mouth. And then how did I want to go about it? There's no right answer to this. There, there's so many different ways. You know, some people do keto. Um, keto doesn't work for me. Um, I need carbs because of my blood type. So what I do is I do the old school, hardcore Arnold, um, you know, five to six meals a day, um, high protein, medium carbs, high fats, and you just stick to it for X amount of weeks. For me, it was 12 weeks before I got all of the weight off. And I did that like four times. Um it's consistency and you have mm-hmm. to work out. But work out, working out isn't – I'd say working out is 10% and the other is all what you put in your mouth. Mm-hmm. It's all food. 
nutrition, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What were your or are your go-to workouts? Oh, man. Okay, so I love um, getting in the gym and squatting with a trainer. Like, I love the squat rack. I love lifting weights. Um, and so I lifted, like, weights every day. I worked with a trainer called Claire Hayes. Um, and she would just meet me every morning at, like, 5.30. And, ooh, I was grumpy some mornings. <laughs> And she would put up with me, and we'd go through the routines, um, split routines, so upper body, lower body. Um, and then she'd definitely add in, like, extra leg day. I think we actually worked legs, like, three days a week just because it was something that I liked um, to do. And then the Stairmaster, you know, you I would do the old school 30 minutes of fast cardio early in the morning. Um, and then I'd go back to the gym at night and do my weights. Now things are a little bit different. I'm not able – I love – I really miss my trainer. I'm working out of Gold's Gym in Venice right now, but it's – I don't feel safe going there. They're opened. Gold's Gym is open, mm-hmm. but I'm not ready to go back quite yet. Yeah. Um, so I have like a rower, an exercise bike. I have some weights. No excuses. You know, you can work out anywhere. Even body weight is fine. That's what's been crazy about all of this is, yeah, I'm with you. I'm not ready to go back to the gym yet. So it's the getting creative with what you have at home and changing up your workouts has been interesting during this time. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. And it, you have to, you know, one thing that I've learned is that it's all about now mentally pushing yourself, right? Because it's mm-hmm. so easy to pay a trainer and show up and have them do the programming. Yes. And But when you have to do the programming, that's like another level of consistency. Um, and you have to get mentally strong. So it's a bit of a challenge. I'm not going to lie. Oh, for sure right now, <laughs> mental toughness is. I feel like some days I'm nailing it. Some days I am not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. It's okay, I want to ask more about a little bit about the bikini competition because I feel like we all hear some, you know, pageant stories about like beauty pageants and things like that. But I feel like the whole world behind the bikini competition, maybe all of us don't know a lot about. So do you have any like fun stories or things that, you know, people wouldn't know about, but that industry and that? Oh, yeah, I have one that's held that you guys are going to die. So (laughs) I'll never never forget this. Um, So you prep. Usually most people uh, will prep for 12 weeks and then you have to like spray tan naked. (laughs) Like you, like all of you, you just like line up and they put you in these tents. Then that's not, you're like, whatever. And then you go back and you have to bring all your bread sheet, like your own stuff to the hotel room. And then it's competition day. You have your suit, your like glazed, your makeup hair. There's like the amazing pros like Ashley and these people who have been competing and they're like number one in the (laughs) world. And then you find out that you need to pee because during getting close to the competition, you're drinking four to eight liters of water. And then the the day of the competition, you don't drink water. You dehydrate. But you got to you're still peeing all of that water out Mm -hmm. so that your muscles are popping. But when you pee, because you've spray tanned, you can't just go. You have to. So there's all these little red cups backstage. (laughs) And my coach says to me, she's like, this is your first competition. Whatever you do, don't drink out of the red cup. (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? Don't drink. She's like, that's for peeing in. Here's yours. I was like, what are you talking about? You pee in red cups backstage. Uh, That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I would never have known that about the competition. (laughs) I can't believe I told you guys that. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. That reminds me of a story with my mom. So we used to have, you know, a van, and we're from Nebraska, and we do a lot of, like, road trips and stuff where you're out, and there's no rest areas to stop or anything like that. She always had this cup in the stairwell of the van, and it was kind of the same thing because we had quick shops back there, and it was this quick shop cup. So some people, like, you're going to quick shop, would grab it to go get their, you know, Mountain Dew or whatever. no. No, 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 not the 44-ounce quick shop cup. <laughs> no, like, and it was her pee cup that she kept in the car growing oh, up. That's amazing. You know they make this thing called the Wizzies. No, what's that? Okay, so the Wizzies. <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about this. I love it. The Wizzies is this thing that is made for um, people who need to pee that may not have uh, the male part that they need to easily stand and pee. And you place it like a cup under yourself, under your undercarriage, and then it has a little spout that gives you the part so that you can pee standing up and the pee shoots out. Oh. I need to get sponsored by them. Wizzy. Yeah. <laughs> Send me one. I've always wanted one. Especially for traveling in places like... I'm up for, I, I don't know, I can't say too much, but the film films in India. And I'm like, if I'm going to India and we're traveling like in the countryside or, you know, I travel to Fiji a lot. And sometimes when you're like hiking and stuff, it's like you just you need the whizzies. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love this. I can't tell you that I'm already going to be sending these for Christmas gifts this year. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you might want to splurge a little more than that. <laughs> no, I, I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, since you mentioned hiking there, what are some of your other like outdoorsy things you like to do? Or, you know, what really gets you just like excited and, you know, things you're passionate about? Oh, I'm passionate back to like filmmaking. And, you know, I I did grow up in the country. I have to say I'm not um, super passionate about hiking. But in L.A., it is really nice just to, you know, run in Kenya and get out to these places, um, especially right now. Um, I'm not very good at camping. I prefer glamping. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Glamping's amazing. (laughs) Um, But I have been camping, you know, and I... I have survival skills and, you know, I learned what I had to learn. You know, I'm not afraid of the words. I know, you know, if you see a black bear or a brown bear, you have to know the difference between a run or climb a tree, you know, because I think it's the brown bears. Do I know the difference? The brown bears can climb the tree. So you never climb a a tree when you see a brown bear because they'll just climb it and get you. Um, So I have a little bit of backcountry Mm -hmm. stuff. But what really gets me going is work. I'm like, mm. I love to work. I love to be on set, whether I'm directing or acting or if I'm in the studio. Um, and even now I'm like I'm taking a night course at Juilliard for voice. Oh. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, spare time in between everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I've looked into um, right now I'm looking into taking some night courses for law. Um, for legal stuff. I will probably wow. never be a lawyer, but I'll definitely, you know, I could train and become a, I think it's two years or three years to be a paralegal. And if we really want to help our society and really make changes, I think that's the kind of education where um, we really need to put some of our time. Yeah. So, you know, my work, my yeah. work gets me going. Speaking of being able to help society and, and change our world right now, you are being so active on social media and doing so much to start those conversations and engage with people. Tell me a little bit about some things you've experienced in the last couple months with that. Yeah, um, it hasn't been my my choice, these conversations. Mm-hmm. At first, I didn't know what I was going to do or or you know, where I was going to go with this, but people started to reach out. What happened with me is I was posting things because I feel that we all have an obligation to our world and society to use all of our platforms. And we also have to look in our hearts and decide what is okay for each individual, what we want to do. I'm strong enough. I feel okay doing what I'm doing. Some people don't, and that's okay. We have to decide ourselves. But for me, people started to reach out. So I had a few people reach out to me, and one story in particular just it it's it's a hard story, but I'll share it because I think that people sometimes, no matter how big or small your platform is, sometimes you don't know who is watching mm-hmm. and you can and you can be the difference. You really, really can. you can you can help. And so this woman reached out to me. She lives um, in the deep south. And she said, Nicole, I really want to I want to ask you a question. What should I be doing as a little white woman? Her words? who lives in the deep south um and i said you know i I don't have an answer for you that's for you to decide and she's like well can we talk i said if you want to call no problem so the next night she ended up facetiming um during the day i was working with canada and the u.s and then at night i had um, friends who were working in london and other places so i was taking calls so she called me really late in the night i think it was like 3 30 the first week of the protests here in in l.a and she said, I want to do something and I want to support. And she told me a story about growing up um, with a maid and how she's afraid to speak out right now um, because she's afraid that the Klan will come and burn her house down. Hmm. And so I had to just sit with her and say, you know, there's no there's no right answer here. You have to make sure you're safe. But, you know, I know you're good. And so we just we just cried together and we just took space. We just held she held space for me. I held space for her. And. There's other people, too. You know, it's, it's so many people. I can't believe the people that reach out to me. And I don't, I don't really know why, but I do know that there's a reason. I believe that there's a reason for, for everything. So one of the things I'm working on, I'm working with an amazing professor from UBC, Pamela Rogalski. And I noticed that my Facebook page has become this war zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like There's like for positive, for good, for bad. And we have this like crazy thing on there. And I was like looking at that. And I tend to try to take especially the really heavy, heavy people um, that 
say hardcore things, I try to take them offline and I'll try to have a private conversation. And sometimes you can get through to them and you can help them see things from a different point of view. And then they're like, oh my God, mm -hmm. I didn't understand. Of course, of course. And, and those moments are really special. And then other times it's really frustrating. So what we're doing, Pamela Rogalski and I, is there is a theory that if you sit in a circle, it's called a healing circle, that the group bears the weight of whatever you're dealing with. So in my case, I'm working towards dismantling racism like many, many people are. And so we're trying to turn my Facebook into a healing circle where it would be some place that everybody would come and that we could help to dismantle racism. Because I don't actually believe in blocking the people who are saying the negative things, mm -hmm. who are saying the racist things. I believe in re-educating them. Um, I don't believe in giving them necessarily a place to voice what they're saying. I definitely don't. I always try to take it offline. But I do believe that if we block and um, we delete, if we don't pick up the phone, if we don't make these calls, these people will go back into their houses and the racism will continue. So it is my mission to have these tough, tough, tough conversations with these people to help make the world a better place because mm -hmm. I don't want them back in their houses. I want them to change their minds and I want them to see that we are all equal. And people fighting for basic human rights, that's not okay in our world today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you are able to embrace and have those conversations with those people, you know, having those different thoughts. The thing is, is that I really believe what Ashton Kusher said and what he said was all lives can't matter until black lives matter because some people don't believe that black lives matter at all. And so I think that that's like the perfect thing. And I shared that with her and she was kind of like, oh, oh. And then she stops and then I'm not going to say her name, of course. I will always keep people's things private. But she shared um that she had a physical altercation um, with somebody. And when she read my story, she then finally broke. And she's like, I can't believe I didn't understand. So it's all about finding a way in. Mm -hmm. You know, every nobody wants to be wrong. Even though we're dealing with racism and we're fighting these huge, huge issues all over the world, sometimes you just got to start with, hey, man, I like your shoes. <laughs> and they might say F you back. And then you can say, well, you know, I know you feel like that, but here's why you might want to take a look at it from this angle. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get through and other times you don't. Mm -hmm. Are you comfortable sharing your Bite the Bullet story and then telling us more about Bite the Bullet? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I work as an ambassador um, with Bite the Bullet Stories. It's an amazing, an amazing platform. Um, Farah is a good friend of mine, has been working to amplify the voices. And when the movement started to happen, I wanted to make sure that anybody who wanted to share their story had a safe place and that I could work with somebody that I trusted. Um, so I had all of the Black Lives Matter um, movement stories through Bite the Bullet. And my Bite the Bullet story is really heavy, but it's meaningful. And the reason I decided to bite the bullet and share my story is I think right now America is on center stage, of course, of course, for the movement, of course, for COVID, of course, for these things. But one of the things that I really want people to realize is that this is a worldwide issue. So I lived in Vancouver. I'm Canadian. I'm from Vancouver. And I was coming back from a wrap party. I needed to call a taxi. I was actually training for a fitness competition at the time. So I wasn't drinking. And I was in a taxi. I, got, I called a taxi. I got in a taxi to go. I lived in the West End at that time. And I needed to stop at the bank to get money. And the taxi driver wouldn't let me out of the taxi. He locked the door. And then he, for some reason, I don't know why this happened, but he called another a taxi driver um, to come and the taxi driver opened the door and they started like grabbing my shirt and um, roughing me up, shaking me really hard. I was strong enough so I was able to kick um, the the taxi driver out. I closed the door. I, I was locked inside the taxi by myself and I called the cops. He said he was calling the cops as well. I, I wanted to stay inside the taxi because I knew I could see that there was a camera. And I was like, as long as I'm on camera, I'm safe. I'm safe. Call the cops. Call the cops. So I called the, the Vancouver PD and they came and they opened the door and I was about to start telling them and they grabbed me viciously. I, there was, they called two cop cars and a paddy wagon for yeah. me. If anyone knows how small I am, that many <laughs> men for yeah. me, it, it, it's just... Yeah. It's atrocious. It's absolutely, and especially because I called for help. I'm mm -hmm. the one who called the cops. They throw me on the ground. They cuff me. They throw me in the back of the paddy wagon, and they let the guys go. 
I'll never forget the rage and the, the I'll never forget that rage. Then I'm I was screaming. I called you. I called you for help. Don't let them get away. They hurt me. Like I called you. They let the guys go and then they realize what happens. I don't know how they figure it out. They pull the paddy wagon up front of my house. They throw all my stuff out. They throw it because they take, when you get arrested, they put all your stuff in a plastic bag. They take your ID, everything. They uncuff me. They throw me on the ground and they all speed away. <sighs> I was so mad. I'll never forget that morning. If anybody knows Vancouver, there's the Vancouver Seawall. It's about 10K. I ran the fastest 20K I've ever ran in my mm-hmm. fucking life because I was so angry. I had to get this out. Mm-hmm. I remember it must have been a day or two and the cops show up at my door and they said, we'd like to apologize. And I was like, you know, you need to get yourself together. Like, you can't treat people like this. And this is, you know, I was very young. And then I started to learn. Like, who do you call? I remember my thought being like, who do I call now? Like, if I'm in trouble and I call, I don't get help. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I'm one of the people who had, I'm very lucky. My story ended with me still being alive. But the reason that story for me is important to share is this is not an American issue. This is a worldwide issue. And we all need to come together to to fix this. Mm-hmm. And yes, America is center stage right now. And the history of the, the slavery that is happening, the modern-day slavery in our justice system here has to be changed, and we have to dismantle these foundations that we have built. They are not working. We are enslaving people to work for free, for money, and we have to stop that. But there is also things happening in Canada that we need to address, mm-hmm. in London, in the U.K., in Paris and France, in Mexico. This is happening everywhere, and we need to... Uh, the whole world needs to take an issue at how we're treating people and why we're doing that, you know? Yes, for sure. Thank you so much for sharing. And I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. You know, I I think that's an interesting thing. You know, we don't want negative things to happen to people. I wish that it hadn't happened as well. But I'm happy that I came out and I hope that I can help save somebody or that I can make a change. I hope that story is not on lost ears. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what everyone's trying to do now. If you have something that has happened to you or something like that, you have to share it because now is not the time um, to be quiet. Mm-hmm. So although it's, uh, you know, it's not a good thing, I just hope that it can be used for a positive. Right. And how can people follow Bite the Bullet to, to see other people's stories? Yeah, the, you can um, check out Bite the Bullet Stories on Instagram. We just use Instagram for Bite the Bullet Stories, um, which is an amazing thing. So definitely go check them out um, there. An amazing, amazing fair is doing such great work, and I'm so honored to be a part of that team. Well, I am so honored to have you here and be sharing all of this with us with us today. You're just fantastic. Um, I want to, you know, you, you kind of touched on this earlier, but I had in reading about you, I found one of your personal quotes where you said, as I live each day, may I make a difference and touch one heart. Each day it is my goal to bring smiles and laughter into a soul, love and peace to all. I want to look back at my life and be happy knowing that my accomplishments in life have been meaningful. I just thought that was beautiful that you said that and you're just such a beautiful soul and um, I just you know thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Wow, you really did your research. I remember <laughs> I remember that post. That was before. That was before wow. everything like quite a bit before all of this was going on and I just I think that as artists, as actors, as directors, as producers, as uh, musicians and all of these different things, we have to remember that it's important for us to keep building ourselves up because the bigger our voices are, the mm-hmm. more that we can help make the world a better place. Um, I have a really cool friend. He's doing amazing things. D-Nice. He's a DJ. And he has been going live. He's created this thing called Club Quarantine on his Instagram, <laughs> just on his Instagram, nice. where he like DJs. But it's such an amazing thing to go see him just do his DJing and sending out this good energy, these good vibes, and just a space where it's positive energy. So I just encourage mm-hmm. like everyone who's an artist or a musician or whatever to remember that it's important for us to hold our voices and to keep building. Mm-hmm, you know, we sure. have lots to say as a I- community. Yeah, I can't wait to look him up after you were telling me about him earlier today. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, 
two two guys that I love as well. Um, I was just listening to them this morning, and I found like throughout this time, whenever my energy is low or I'm just really feeling depressed and sad, there's these guys you can find on YouTube, Music Travel Love, and they're on YouTube and Spotify and everywhere. But they um, just do a bunch of these amazing cover songs of all these just you know, songs we all love, uh, but they're all shot in beautiful parts of the world, you know, so it's all shot outside and it's just the two of them standing out playing. So it kind of gives you that travel fix plus good energy plus great music, you know, so I love finding artists like that during these times right now is so important. Oh man, I cannot wait to get back to traveling. (sighs) I know. I just hope like LA gets it together. Like, you know, my 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 brothers and sisters back in Vancouver and Toronto, they squashed this thing in like two months. <laughs> we just have to wear masks. Yeah. Okay, so mask. where is your first spot you're going once we're released? <laughs> well, I hope, I hope it's actually gonna be um, to London and to India. Um, I'm on hold for this project. We don't have any information that we can share, but I'm really hoping that we get to get to go over to the UK. I miss mm-hmm. oh man, I miss Italy. France, Oof. yeah, Fiji, <laughs> oh. Fiji. <laughs> I can just dream. You know, I've never been to Canada, your home place, and I was supposed to go there Memorial Weekend, and I was so excited because I was going to go to Vancouver Island and do some hiking. So that was my first thing that got canceled with yeah, all this. So. Because if you get out, you can't get back yeah. in. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, Although from what I've heard about Canada, it might not be such a bad place to be stuck in. Well, yeah, because they're open. They're <laughs> yeah. completely open. Everybody was really smart and they took this thing really seriously yeah. um, and they squashed it, mm-hmm. you know, just like New Zealand. Um, New Zealand and um, Vancouver, they're pretty much all opened. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited. I'm going to probably be going back um, to Vancouver to work for a little bit. And I feel very, Great. very blessed that I'll be able to do that safely. That's great. So before we wrap here, let's do, let's talk about what's next for you, where people can follow you, where they can hear about your production company, all the goods. Yeah. Um, So my production company, there's, you know, it's just me. I use the production company to produce my projects. Um, That's it. You can follow me on Instagram. It's probably the best one. It's Nicole G. Lear. Um, Last name spelled L-E-I-E-R. Or on Facebook. I am on TikTok, but I'm mostly on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. And you just brought so much joy to my day today. And I just think, you know, you're a beautiful soul and that this world just really needs your energy and more people like you right now. So I just want to thank you. And I just really commend you and your team on doing this. And please keep going. I know that there is tons of people that would love to come on this show. So keep doing your work as well. Oh, thank you. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Until we'll be back again next week, you can follow the show at TomGirlTV on Instagram, Twitter, and now on our new YouTube page. So we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.